Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery are purveyors of beautiful non-alcoholic beverages. Live on your own terms, be true to you, and drink what's good for your body and soul. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr, and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi, and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by Adam Tustin. Adam is from New Orleans. He runs a pub and a restaurant. He's 12 months sober, as well as his wife. And he reached out to me to ask if he could share his journey on this podcast today. And I just thought, wow a sober publican, I'm all for it. So Adam, thank you so much for coming on today. How are you at 1.30 in the morning over there? I'm well, thank you for having me. You must be tired. A little bit. I mean, I work at night, so it's not unusual for me to be up at this time. I should say that I help manage the bar at the Pelican Club, but I don't run it. Right. Yeah. But you manage it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's running it. 
<laughs> I just don't want to make anyone angry. Okay. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your history with alcohol. Well, when I was growing up, my father was uh, sober for the majority of my childhood. He relapsed a little bit when I was in my early 20s, and he's been sober now for about 20 years. So there's some history with addiction on both sides of my family. Growing up, it was always around, but it wasn't, I don't want to paint like a depressing picture of it. You know, it was kind of around just when people were gathering and it wasn't even a, a, a nightly thing in my household. But as I got a little bit older and I became a teenager, I just really dove in headfirst to uh, drinking. I think it helped with some social anxiety that I have. It kind of was a way to fit in or at least feel like I was fitting in. After high school, I joined the Marine Corps, and uh, I was in the Marines for about three years. And I was drinking pretty heavily, but it wasn't really unusual with the crowd I was around. I am always the one leading the charge, though. I was always the one suggesting that we drink or suggesting that we drink more or longer. At the end, well, after about three years in the Marines, I basically got kicked out. It was alcohol-related. Really? Can you tell what happened? Can you share? Or? So New Orleans was my last duty station. I got stationed here in 2003, and uh, I was drinking a lot, mostly on the weekends with the friends I made here. And, you know, New Orleans is a big drinking town. It's tolerated and celebrated. And so anyway, I was out, and I was drinking, and I was drunk, and somebody busted out some cocaine, and I decided it'd be a good idea to do some. With the assurances that it leaves your system almost instantly or whatever I was thinking. I don't know. I was 20, 21, 22. Anyway, I had a urinalysis that Monday and tested positive and was separated about six months later. The oh, wow. mm -hmm. So after that, I was still living in New Orleans. I still love the city and I decided to get into the bar business. I didn't know really what else to do at the time. I had some food service experience and I've been tending bar ever since. Pretty much. That was 2005. So I'm coming right. up on 20 years of, of bartending. 20 years of bartending. Okay. So tell me, going back to dad and dad being in recovery, did that make you wary of alcohol at all? Yeah, he definitely did his best to try to warn me. Like I said, it was on both sides of my family. I don't know what I really thought. Yeah, I'm not one of those people that it's like, you don't, maybe you don't really have a problem. Like when I quit drinking, nobody said, why are you couldn't drinking? You don't have a problem. I uh, yeah. mm -hmm. I mean, I was pretty obvious. I managed to function, I guess you could call it, but I don't think it ever gave me pause because I never really saw it growing up. He was sober when I was growing up. So I should have seen it. I should have listened to him, but you're a kid. It's hard. You got to learn these things for yourself. Yeah. You got to find out for yourself. hundred percent. Absolutely. So 20 years working around alcohol, like it's there, it's in your face. Tell me how your drinking escalated. Well, Tenen Bar in, in, the, in the New Orleans scene, I mean, one of the places, not my current employer, but one of the restaurants I was working at early on, taking shots during the shift was part of working. You wow. Know, like, it's like being a musician. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I was actually told, like, if you can't, work while you're drinking you can't work here and i wasn't actually told that by a boss i was told that by a bartender who was training me say that again if you can't if you don't drink while you're working you can't work here is that what you yeah i mean yeah. effectively that was the message that was conveyed to me and 
Well, what uh, do you think about I mean, those that? Are the exact words, those are the exact words that were spoken to me. I, I, at the time, I thought it was great. <laughs> you know, yeah, of course, was, yeah. Yeah, I was 23, and I was like, all right, this is great. I was having a good time. I was making good money. Never mind the hangovers that are just awful. And attending bar hungover is a miserable experience. Oh, God, all the smell of it, everything. But also, where's the duty of care there for the employees? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't, well, it didn't come straight for the, from the employer. Like I said, it came from the guy who was training me, but it was pretty much understood. It was kind of like a, a partying type environment. And that place didn't make me a drunk. <laughs> I went in there like rearing a go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Being around that level of, I'm assuming, I'm just taking a, a, a punt here, but I'm assuming that you're probably around some fairly drunk people by the end of the night and having to deal with that and trying to clean up. At any point, does that turn you off? Do you feel like, oh God, just dealing with drunk people, that's the last thing I want? I ask this because I used to work in a pizza restaurant and I couldn't stand the sight of fucking pizza at the end of it. So I wonder if it's the same with alcohol. I'm assuming not. No, not really. If ever I saw someone that kind of was really embarrassing themselves or just really having a bad night, I would just tell myself that I can manage my problem better than that, which wasn't true at all. The next weekend or the weekend after, it would be a bad weekend. And I'd tell myself I'm going to do better. And this is almost 20 years ago. So there was 20 years that... Wow, 20 years of telling yourself that. And so how did it look? Because also I'm assuming that if you're working, you can't be shit-faced behind the bar. Like you would have had to maintain some level of having your shit together, right? Or no? Yeah. I mean, I'd say 90%, 99% of the time, maybe you get to the level where you could still manage yourself and you can still manage your job and do your job, but not always. I mean, there was a few times where I was sat down with the bar. I should have been fired. I would have fired me. And I don't want to blame it on geography, but it's it's the industry and it's the culture here that like everybody's got problems. Everybody's got habits. And if your guy can get the job done 99 out of 100 times, that's way better than average. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So were there times at work where you're pissed, drunk? Yeah. There were times when I would wake up the next day and not remember leaving work. Well, yeah. yeah, that's talk about a horrible feeling. You don't even know if you have a job walking in the next day. So you're yeah. walking in with all this shame and, and fear and regret anyway. And then you got to work a shift and try to be friendly to people and pour alcohol all night. Wow. I imagine that's what it's like for people that go and have work functions and get really drunk and wondering if they've still got a job the next day, but you've got that on a continual basis. So that's pretty yeah. stressful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So talk to me about, about where the drinking escalated to and the levels that it got to. Were you daily drinking? Was it binge drinking? How did it look for you? Yeah, I've been doing a lot of like trying to zoom out and see because when you think back on time, it's hard to get a clear picture. I know that when COVID hit, and my drinking was already a problem before this, but when COVID hit, my wife and I would she's a bartender as well, or she was a bartender as well. We both lost our jobs and stayed home for a year. And I think that's really when it was obviously problematic, drinking every day. I'd wake up feeling like such shit that I'd just be counting down to when I could start drinking again so I could feel better. Um, What was the countdown like? Was it what time? What was an acceptable time frame for you to start drinking? 
Well, <laughs> it's like some people say they don't wait till two or they'll wait till three p.m. to start drinking, but it's like if you sleep till one thirty, <laughs> it's it's not that great. You're still drinking an hour and a half after you wake up. I don't want to overshare, especially when it's about other people. We would have like cute little nicknames for it, so we'd wake up the next day and we'd have empty half filled drinks laying around and we drank vodka and water with a little cranberry and it'd be all melted and we call them melties and <laughs> uh -huh. so it's it's not day drinking i'm just having a melty you know i'm just cleaning up basically so really not every day but many days started that way because i never wanted to get totally pissed drunk before like i have before at work it's i mean it's a nightmare talk about feeling awful about yourself getting like that in a professional environment. The only thing I could think of that would be worse would be a musician and doing that in front of a crowd full of people. <laughs> but if I was drinking, it was pretty normal for me to wake up, shower, and then right before I go out the door, take one shot. I get to work, set up the bar. And before people come in, I have another. And then I'd have a few drinks throughout my shift. And then after my shift, I'd go to the bar and sometimes with people I worked with, sometimes not. And then I'd have five or six more drinks. So I'd come home hammered and uh, fall asleep and wake up feeling like shit and do it all over again. Yeah. Rinse and repeat. What did that yeah. one shot before work do for you? I don't want to be like overly dramatic about it. And I know this isn't like a real physical response. It was all mental, but it really felt like a just I would take the shot and I'd feel it go down and I felt a calming wave over me mm -hmm. and like I certainly wasn't like perfect after that but a lot of the anxiety melted away right and so it was, was relieving just, anxiety yeah I think my biggest issue is anxiety my biggest hangover symptom was anxiety it, it just got me rid and that's what would make me drink like that where I would go back to it medicinally yeah, absolutely. And so many people do. I was guilty of that as well. I would have panic attacks and think the only way I could stop this is if I just quickly scroll some wine. Luckily, yeah. they weren't happening on a daily basis like that, but they were certainly happening. So tell me what the anxiety looked like for you, if you don't mind sharing. Would it manifest as panic attacks or was it more just in the head? Was it both? It was both. I haven't had a lot of panic attacks in my life. I could probably count on one hand, but I think probably... It's the first one or two I have. I didn't know what it was. I didn't realize it was anxiety, but it's everything that went along with the anxiety too. I mean, just terrible stomach problems, insomnia, which just adds more anxiety to everything. So it would just build and build and build. And I'd use the alcohol to cut it and it would take more and more alcohol. And of course the alcohol produces more anxiety as well. So, I mean, it was really just a vicious cycle. And then I kick for a few days to try to get certain, as I'm sure you know, when you're a heavy daily drinker and you decide it's time to dry out for a couple of days, those days are awful. But yeah, it's just usually anxiety was the motivation for me to drink like that. To keep going. Yeah. Like I can totally get that too, because in the short term, it is alleviating the anxiety. And of course you just, who doesn't want the anxiety to stop? Like right. I get that. And even in our minds where we know but I think this is giving me more anxiety. It's like, we just want an instant result. We want that to stop. Like people right. want that to stop and that's fair enough. So really this whole cycle is really kind of stemming from this underlying anxiety, which needed to be dealt with, obviously. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Like, especially around the COVID time and you're having your melties. Are you thinking, 
shit, I've got a problem. I've got to do something about this. Or are you more like going, looking at your wife going, she's got a problem. <laughs> she's got to do something about this. Or we both do. It wasn't, like I said, my wife's a New Orleans French Quarter bartender as well, or was when we met. And one of the first things I told her when we got together is you can't ever ask me to stop drinking. I'd already lost relationships because of that. You know, obviously it's because it's they asked to you to stop like or it would just, you know, it's shit being in a relationship with an alcoholic. It's hard. So it would just be too much for people. And I totally understand that. I didn't want us to get close and then her say, you have to stop drinking. So when that kind of played out, she never asked me to stop drinking, but she stopped drinking. <laughs> Let me back up a little bit. Cause we had taken, we realized we didn't have a healthy relationship with alcohol. We weren't totally lying to ourselves. We would take breaks sometimes. And we started, have you ever heard of the whole 30 diet? No. It's um basically you remove everything inflammatory from your life. So mm -hmm. no sugar, no dairy, no gluten, no alcohol, no mm -hmm. soy. Basically you're eating roasted vegetables and meat and no alcohol. Mm -hmm. So we, we did that a few times and we realized how nice life is when you're not hung over all the time. <laughs> alcohol was ruling really every decision that you make. It either prohibited us from doing things or it would kind of ruin things. And it got to a point where we were just like, when we would take our break at the end of it, we'd, we'd be dreading going back to drinking and looking forward to the next break. Mm. And there came a time when it was just like, this is crazy. Why are we doing, you know, let's just stop. It's so crazy to me that, it, that it's so hard for people to understand that that's an option. Yeah. Big penny drop moment here too, because I just remembered then with you saying that I used to be the same where I'd be looking forward to, oh, great. I'm going to take a month off coming up and I'd look forward to that month and, but then just get completely hammered at the end of it. And then yeah. the same thing, but I can relate to that. Like at what point are you kind of realizing I'm an alcoholic? Did you? I mean, yeah. Yeah. But like I said, that in my environment, A, it's not uncommon and it's accepted. If you go to service industry bars in New Orleans, people are going, stopping by before their shift to check in with their bartender and have a couple of drinks and goes. And if you pinned them down and said, you know, are you an alcoholic? They'd probably say, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so you're kind of starting to have that realization. Tell me about getting to enough's enough. Like that point where you're like, I'm done. So your wife's obviously, she's decided she's stopping. When does it start to drop for you and you think that's it, I'm done? We did our one month break and she didn't go back to it. But I had this trip planned. I was meeting some friends in Florida. And so after the month, I was excited to get back to drinking because I knew that this was coming up and it was going to be a, you know, a boys weekend. And it's a friends that I've had since high school and earlier. I'm just so excited to go. So I drive out there. To, it's like an 11 hour drive out to Florida. And, uh, it was first day was great. And then the second and third day was just a complete shit show. I got so drunk that I couldn't stand up. My friends had to carry me and put me to bed. And then I just slept for a full day. I wasted so much time that I was looking forward to seeing these guys and having a good time. And it was, it ended up just being horrendous. That wasn't even the worst thing that ever happened to me while I was drunk. That wasn't even the worst bender that I went on, but it was the one where I was just like, I don't ever want to do this again. 
I don't have to ever do this again if I don't want to. That's amazing. I don't ever have to do this again if I don't want to. Yes. And that's where we get to that point where we make that choice. I don't have to do with this anymore. Very okay. powerful. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I want to say for people listening, if you've gone through lots of those times where you've you've had a month off and you started again, you've had a month off, you started again, that's all great because it's all steps in the right direction. You might not be there yet where you're like, I'm ready to make that choice, but it's still great what you're doing. And just like you and your wife, because in taking those times off, you're getting that glimmer of hope and you're actually starting to see, all oh, right, life can be different. So it's all right. positive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Be, okay. Being able to operate a car after 5 p.m., <laughs> you know, like little things like that. Yeah. Where you start to realize that all these little doors have been closed to you by yourself. Mm -hmm. And those add up to damaging your life. Yeah. So you've come home from that trip, I'm assuming. And then when was it like, right, I'm done? Like, when was day one? And how did that look? Yeah. Well, so. September 12th, well, September 11th, September 11th was the day that I got so drunk, I don't even know what happened. And the whole next day was pretty much me sleeping or in bed. Or And then at that night, I got up and I had a few beers just so I could sleep. I was telling myself, but I was having a miserable time and I was just so embarrassed. I'm 40 years old. It's, what, it's one thing if you're an 18-year-old kid and you're... And you get it yourself like that. You can make the excuse that you don't know any better, but I've been there so many times. I should have controlled it, but I realized I couldn't. Yeah, it's one thing when you realize that we've gone from perhaps maybe controlling the alcohol to when we have that realization, actually, this shit's controlling me. Yeah. Big one. Mm -hmm. Did your friends show any concern or were they kind of like, hey, mate, what's, is there something going on with you? Or did any of them bring it up? They showed concern. I mean, I apologize. This is nothing new for them. They know me well enough that this isn't completely out of left field. I mean, the fact that they're still my friends is a testament to how loyal they are. These are the same guys that are completely supportive for me getting sober as well. Unfortunately, it wasn't totally out of character. I could tell they were concerned, you know, but what do you say? Yeah, and it's so hard. It's sort of like the elephant in the room sometimes when there is that kind of Oh, wow, I really fucked up last night and everyone knows it. And you're just like, yeah. how do I handle this one? Uh -huh. Okay, I get it. All right. And so you've got home or when was it? When was I'm done? So that was it. That was that night. I just had a few beers sitting around with them. I think they were probably pretty hungover too. It's not like they were getting sober. So they were pretty low key as well. We had a couple of beers. I woke up the next day and uh, drove back to Louisiana. And that was that was it. That was the last time I drank. Well, and if you made a decision, that's it for good? Or was it just like, I'm going to take another month off and see how I feel? Was there a time frame on it? I didn't put a time limit on it. At that moment, I just wanted to, I went through a cycle. I think a lot of people go through where I would drink responsibly for a while. Nothing bad happens. You think you're fine. Then you have a bad night or a bad weekend and you feel terrible. So you quit for a couple of days and you dry out and you think, okay, I got this under control. I'm never going to do that again. I guess if there was a realization, that was it. That yes, I have, I'm an alcoholic. I have a drinking problem, but these nights are going to continue to happen and they're going to continue to define me to the people who care about me. And 
there's no way to not do that while I'm drinking. Like that the only way to do it is to not drink. But it sounds, I don't know, when, it, when I say it like that, it sounds like a prohibition of put on myself that's like negative, but it's not. It really opens up a life that's just really worth living and it's just way more rich and interesting and happier. Were you scared? Yeah. I was very scared of losing my wife. I was scared that I wouldn't be able to do it and she would and that wouldn't work out. I was also scared that she wouldn't be able to do it. I don't know what the experts say about people who were enabling each other getting sober together, but we kind of talked about it and we said we can neither be really, really great together or we can get really, really bad together. And thus far, we've done a good job of keeping each other honest. I think that's the most important thing and talking it out. My father's also been a huge help. I mean, he was... A bit. He was ready to help. He recognized the problem from a very early age. <laughs> so he was more than happy to help, and he was a huge help, especially in the first, at the beginning, when it's so, tough, and it's all you think about all day. Yeah, that's so fantastic. Were you scared about life without alcohol, apart from the thoughts of losing your wife? Were you scared about, how am I going to work? How am I going to deal with my anxiety? Did that worry you at all? The anxiety thing uh, scared me, but I went to my doctor and I said, I'm trying to kick alcohol. I think I have a problem. He asked me the same question, you know, where do you think this comes from? And I mentioned anxiety. I'd had, like I said, I've only had a, a handful of panic attacks, but they notched up a little bit during the pandemic. I remember one time I was watching these news reports and they were just describing how it feels to suffocate basically in these oh in the hospital and they're having this news story about it. and all of a sudden I'm watching this and I can't breathe, you know? And so that was a pretty bad one. But so I told my doctor about that and he said, okay, well, we're going to get you on some medication, a daily low dose anxiety medication. And that helped tremendously. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And well done and good on you for reaching out to your GP as well. I think that's so important. If someone's a heavy daily drinker, Definitely, you need to go and see your GP. At any point, did he say, like, talk to you about coping mechanisms or dealing with the underlying anxiety? Or was it just, I don't mean to criticize here, so don't take this the wrong way. Or was he just giving you a pill to mask it? I'm pretty happy with my healthcare provider, but no, it was a pretty quick conversation. Because it was definitely, that was one part of a multi-prong attack that we were doing yeah. to try to get sober. And hearing other people's stories, I went to several meetings. And actually, your podcast helped out a lot as well. My wife and I are both big fans of your show. Mm -hmm, um, that's awesome. It, it really helps to hear other people's story. It puts it in perspective because there's so much built up in your brain that contradicts what you know to be true. And so when you hear other people sharing their stories and sharing some similar struggles, it helps to shine a spotlight on what's going on with yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. And likewise, just like hearing that story, seeing that thing or the image of someone suffocating, and we kind of get that image in our mind and we go with that. It's also like the same thing of hearing positive stories and positive reinforcements, and it gives us something to latch onto and hold on to. I just want to circle back to what I was just saying about, I don't want people to take that the wrong way, what I said about the medication. I think it can be a really important part for people 
to perhaps get on some medication if they need and wean off that. But at some point, I think, and a lot of health care providers don't address, okay, there's something going on here. What's going on for you? Can we address this? Do you need to go and see a therapist or ways or how are we going to deal with the anxiety? So that's why I ask about that. But I'm in no way judging anyone who needs to do that. And I think sometimes it's absolutely essential. So tell me about the first couple of weeks. How was that for you? Because I'm assuming that would have been hellish. And were you still working over those first few days? Yeah, I was still working. We had gotten pretty good at like our own detox routine. And I'd like have little things I would do. I would make soup. <laughs> it was just a very, cooking is the hobby of mine. And it's very like relaxing meditative process to make the broth. And then at the end of it, you have this like very nice hot, pot of soup that you can enjoy but no sleeping no good sleep and when i did sleep the nightmares were awful you know the anxiety dreams somebody trying to kill me or fill in the blade just awful anxiety dreams and uh sweating shaking i mean really all the i had the gamut and having a public facing job when you're in that shape and you're pouring people's martinis and your hands are shaking and they can tell holy just, shit it's oh kind of God, Adam, like how, I mean, the amount of willpower you must have had to, because it would have been so easy just to shove one in your mouth and get rid of it. Oh my God, you're incredible. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Well, yeah. The sending bar on over is one, of the, is one of the worst experiences, but you got to get to the other side of that and then you start feeling a little bit better. And um, how do you, you keep know, yourself I'd... going at that point? Like, how do you, like, how, how? I mean, I, you just have to embrace <laughs> It sounds awful, but you just have to embrace the misery. Because, huh. I mean, it is, it, it's miserable. But yeah. you just have to embrace it. The alternative is to go back to drinking. And it's not like I didn't do that 15,000 times. It would get to be too much, and I'd take a shot, and I'd be right back on the same cycle. Those first two days are, are brutal. I get why it's so hard for people. God, yes. Tell me about sleep. So how long did it take until you were able to get some sleep? That took a while. I mean, I would take like over-the-counter medication to help me sleep. I would try to do, I, I started getting more exercise, which I think is also very important. It's very important with the anxiety part too. And I, I think that is something my doctor recommended as well. But I would say it took about maybe 10 days or two weeks before I'd have a normal night sleep where I could actually like lay down and when you're so used to falling asleep either drunk or after having had some drinks it's nearly impossible to fall asleep I I mean it was for me anyway it would be a lot of tossing and turning and anxiety and your brain starts going people are familiar with insomnia and then waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to go back to sleep it was awful and then you're all dreary the next day but I tell you what once the sleep got good man when I started coming into those good nights of sleep was when I realized I want to do this forever. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just like when you're used to getting three or four drunk hours of sleep and then you have a full eight hours of real healthy sleep, I mean, it's, you feel like a different person. You feel like a superhero. Yeah. And were you still medicating at that point to sleep or was this like clean sleep? No. You know, I would take like some Benadryl just to fall asleep, but it, it wasn't good healthy sleep. It took probably two weeks before my sleep got normal. What would you say? I've had people on my challenges as well before that are like, wow, they're pulling their hair out because if they've been really heavy drinkers or they've relied on alcohol to get them to sleep, it's so tough. Like I just feel for them so much. 
What would you say to those people that are struggling with their sleep at the start? Uh, well, for me, it was always the anxiety. So I would look at ways to use anxiety. I started using CBD. That seemed to help a little bit. Mm -hmm. Exercise helps. But really, you just your body has to get used to not powering down with alcohol. And that's hard. Yeah. I think it requires just a certain amount of patience and I think some acceptance around, okay, it's not coming yet, but it will. And just accepting, okay, I'm going to be tired tomorrow and that's mm -hmm. it. That's all you can do really, isn't it? And just wait. It's a waiting You got to wait it out because mm -hmm. your body's resetting. But yeah, like you said, waiting it out. That's a good, that's a good way to put it. You just got to wait till it gets better. It shows how much alcohol fucks with us, not just in that sleeping, but when you got to the point where you're at too, where your body is fucking detoxing, it's withdrawing. Like it's, wow, it's really scary how toxic it really is. But what you went through is phenomenal. Okay, so it's, you're getting some sleep. Things are starting to feel a bit better. Can you just tell also the people what you did? So you went to some AA meetings. You listened to the yeah. podcast. You're getting some exercise. What else did you do? Did you have a daily practice? How did you sort of also keep yourself on track in the early days particularly? In the early days, I would have like mantras that I would say every morning. And they would be a little bit different every day depending on what I was tackling. But there would always be... I will not have a drink today was always part of it. And really just saying that and affirming it, I think it sets you up for success for that day. Yeah, I think that's but, super powerful. Do you say that out loud or in the mirror or just in your head? How do you say that? I, I would have to say it out loud and in the mirror Great. so that it's, it really sinks in. Yeah, you know? just once um, or do you repeat it over and over? I think I would just say, well, it's, no, sometimes it took more than once. Look yourself in the eye and really affirm it and find a way to be honest with yourself. And yeah. it will help protect you for that day. The NAA, they say one day at a time and they got a lot of slogans, but that one's a really good one because it's yeah. true. It's, it's every day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just get through today. Absolutely. That's incredible. And I think that's really helpful for people listening. So thank you for sharing that. And tell us how it is now. I mean, you're a year down the track. How has life changed for you? How do you feel? Well, I always thought that bartending would be kind of a nightmare sober. <laughs> but I think we tell ourselves that about a lot of things. Social gatherings are going to be a nightmare sober. Going to see live music is going to be a nightmare. Or going to see the family or whatever. But it's really not true. I'm a better bartender. I'm more attentive. I'm more efficient. I'm not drinking all the owner's booze. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a much better employee. I'm a happier person back there. I'm, a, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm a better coworker, and I enjoy it. I still really like my job. You know, the thought, of course, came up, and that's one of the first things my father said to me too was, "You probably should think about a different job." But I'm good at it. I love it. So I didn't want to do another job, and yeah, the tempting you're around alcohol all the time, but you you really kind of always are. I'm sure it's the same in Australia, but in the United States, you don't have to go too far to get a drink. Mm -hmm. And in New Orleans, you can get one 24 hours a day, throw a stone and you can get it. But I thought back to when I was a landscaper, I did some landscaping when I was young before I joined the Marines. And at the end of mowing lawns and weed whacking all day, we'd go and we'd get a 12 pack of beer and put the tools away and we'd have a couple of beers. And those beers were the best. I looked forward to him so much and I'm so excited to do it. It's like, how was giving up that any harder than giving up 
drinking behind a bar. It's the same problem is going to be there. So true. Yeah. So true. Yeah. I like my job and I like it sober. Yeah. That's amazing. Like I said to you before we started recording that I've done some coaching with a guy who is the owner of a pub in Australia and he's just gone over his one year milestone now and like he owns a pub. Oh my God. And he's still doing it. And he still goes to these big functions. He messaged me the other day. He was overseas and he was like, he's doing it. Like that first big function he did where I think all the pub owners get together, all the publicans get together. And I don't know whether it was to try alcohol or what, but he just, he did it. He got himself through it and it was so challenging for him, but he did. And I was just so proud of him. And I thought, wow. And my first initial thought was you got to change your job, but he's doing it. Like looking at positive things too, perhaps introducing some alcohol-free options to the pub and bringing that side of it in. Do you ever feel, well, does any of the the patrons of where you work ask you, why aren't you drinking? And is that a bit of a contentious thing that you kind of um, not drinking? Well, my coworkers noticed it first <laughs> and there was kind of that, they, but they were used to me taking breaks. So they just assumed, and I let them assume, I just on another break. I don't, go out of my way to talk about it. But if people ask me about it, I'm just honest. I don't think I've ever lied to anyone. If they say, do a shot with us, or I just say, I don't drink actually, which is usually inspires a chuckle because I'm in, I'm tending yeah. bar in the French quarter in New Orleans. It's not what you expect to hear from your bartender, but so far I haven't had anybody be ugly about it. I'm sure that day will come <laughs> dealing with the public. I'm sure somebody will come along and be awful about it. But I'm just honest with you, and I, what I really like doing now, and it's a really exciting part of it, is developing non-alcoholic options, like you were talking about. I think a lot in the cocktail world has already been invented. It's already been done. People mm -hmm. try to improve on things over and over and over again, and it usually just ends up worse than the original thing. That was my philosophy about cocktails, you know, way before I got sober. Is that people are overdoing things or overthinking things. Just do simple things right first, at least, before mm -hmm. you start riffing on everything. But where the exception to that is when you take the alcohol out of cocktails. That's kind of a whole new territory that does have a lot of precedent. There's a lot of like vinegar punches and shrubs and switchels. And there's a lot of things people were drinking for a very long time that have nothing to do with alcohol. I mean, even... I'm not sure if this is the same deal in Australia, but in the States, it kind of came from a medicinal place, the mixology and all that stuff. It really was, first they were elixirs and tinctures and things like that to help what ails you. And then it sort of evolved, especially during prohibition, into cocktails or just to get you drunk. But I've been experimenting, like I said, with a lot of these like vinegar-based alcohol-free spirits. And I find that they help settle my stomach which I think has a positive effect on anxiety. They're adult flavors. They're not, it's not like drinking a million sodas or anything. So there's this whole new venue now that I get to explore, yes. you know, kind of in my career. It's so great. And it's becoming more and more popular. I know in Australia, I don't know about over there, but there's actually alcohol-free pubs opening up now and bars mm -hmm. and it's so cool. And they're really well patronized because people want to be able to go out and have a drink, but they don't want to get shit-faced. I don't think it's really freaking cool. There's so many alcohol-free options and wine match, like with the, the degustation type stuff and there's, you know, with the wine pairing, now there's alcohol-free pairing. It's so cool. Like it's it's a whole new frontier and it's very, very exciting and I think that's so wonderful. 
And it's great that you're kind of getting into that. I think it's amazing. And hopefully it gets really accepted and, and people look into it and want to kind of order up because I think it's great to support that as well. So tell me, Adam, as a whole, how does life look for you now? I'm more optimistic about my life and the future than since I can remember. I'm just excited about so many new things that I get to do now. It sounds stupid, but when you have a really committed, serious alcohol habit, that comes first. And it's really hard to maintain owning your house and keeping your job and then things on top of that. It's mm -hmm. like things get crossed off the list pretty quick. So I've never been backpacking before. And actually, when, <laughs> when one of the hearts of hearts my wife and I were having about our drinking issues, I was talking about getting into backpacking and I was starting to buy some of this gear and she looked at me and she goes, you know, you're never going to do this. If you keep drinking, I'm never going to have the time. I'm never going to have the money. I'm never going to have the energy. I'm just never going to do it. I realized that she was right. And so for my year anniversary, I went backpacking with those same friends that I was in Florida with. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. And we went to Colorado and I mean, it was beautiful and it was a great time. And I remember the whole thing. <laughs> oh, that's so great. That's so awesome. How has your relationship changed with you both going sober? Has it improved? We've always had a really great relationship. We've been together for five years, so it's still relatively new. We've been sober for one, but I mean, she is so supportive and we help each other and we, we look out for each other and we don't always talk about sobriety and alcohol, but sometimes we need to sit down and have a half an hour conversation about it, about what we're feeling. And your podcast is great for that too. We both listen to it. So we discuss what's been on the show and I think you have to keep it front of mind or it slips and all these old habits and reactions that you have start easing back if you don't stay on top of it. That's so important. It's so important to keep it in the front of your mind. It's not that, well, I think if you've had a, a fairly heavy addiction or a fairly heavy drinking problem, I think it is so important just to keep talking about it. It doesn't have to be every day, but just to stay on top of it. And like you say, just keep it in the forefront of your mind. You've got to stay on guard a little bit. Yeah. I just had one of my people from my grads group, 18 months sober, nearly slipped up the other day. And luckily she called me. She, it just came out of nowhere. It was a sunny day. She'd had a great day. It was a sunny day. She was... Yeah feeling great then just it overtook her so thank god she called me and i was able to talk her through it and she didn't do it and she's so grateful of course that she didn't do it grateful right. to herself obviously the group got together on sunday because we have sunday night calls and we talked about that and it happened to a couple of other people in the group as well just the changing in the weather so it's just like so important to stay on top of it and keep it at the forefront of your mind and just be on guard with it because you never know where a trigger is just going to pop out from. That's mm. actually one great thing about the year milestone is you've done everything once sober. Yeah. You've done Christmas sober. You've done, you've gone to see the family sober when they were drinking and you weren't. You Basically everything that's in a year you've done once. It builds confidence, I think, and strength moving forward. Yeah. What was the hardest time or was there a time in this one year where you nearly went fuck it? You know, for me, there's temptations where I feel like uh, I could use a drink now, but it's never so overwhelming that I'm like, I'm worried that I'm going to do it. And what's way more common with me is that 
it's almost like a switch that I drank so much and there were so many reasons to drink that these things will come up and my brain goes, take a shot. And it still does that. So I still get these automatic responses way less now than I used to, but at work it happens. For instance, if like a guest is really, really being an asshole and you're getting upset, that was a big trigger for me to just pour a shot and take it. Like I said, before it even gets in my blood, I feel better because it's, I did something about it. So that still happens sometimes, but never yet. I yeah. Would. yeah. What do you do instead now than having the shot if there's a guest and they're giving you shit? What do you do instead now? Well, I actually can take non-alcoholic shots that I have that I've made. There's also some products that they make. So it's like, if I really need to go through the motions, mostly that's just like a festive thing. Like if friends are at the bar and we all want to do a shot or something, I have my own stuff. It <laughs> doesn't cool. have any alcohol in it. Yeah. So I still like choosing people and going through the motions and being festive and everything. But I don't really have like, I mean, I kind of just wait until it passes because it's pretty brief for me. It'll uh, present itself. I recognize what it is and I just really wait. And it's not that long before I'm on something else. Boom. All right. We're going to stop here on this one. This is really important. I find that most big emotional responses, most triggers and most urges that we're having, whether it's to drink or it's just like, like really angry, just sit, just sit, just sit, wait it out. And usually it just passes. It's like urge surfing. It's like you're surfing this wave and it peaks and it drops off. And they drop off pretty rapidly. Where It's surprising if you can just sit and have that awareness with it. It's amazing. And I really challenge everyone to just notice what happens. If I just sit and be with, don't even distract myself. Just notice what happens with my body. If I just sit and breathe and take a moment, you'll be amazed. So yeah. this is not just to go and have a drink. Don't pick up your phone. Don't do anything. Just sit and be with it. And it's pretty, yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Sit with it and recognize what it is. Yes. And then, name it. And then it name what you're feeling. I heard on your show, I can't remember who you were interviewing, but somebody was talking about like social situations. And when first thing I would do in, in social situations, go to the bar, have a shot at the bar and get a drink to walk with. I would tell myself that this is what I need to do to feel comfortable here. And then after 20 minutes, I'd feel comfortable or more comfortable. But mm -hmm. if you just sit in a room and don't, drink and you're in the same room for 20 minutes you also feel comfortable it eventually passes and you start having a good time <laughs> like when that happened there and i heard that it was like curtain was lifted i couldn't believe it's like jesus i've been lying to myself my entire life saying well you got to have a couple of drinks before you start having a good time because it's never going to happen if you don't drink you know mm, that's right that's so yep 100 well done that's so i'm so happy to hear that that's so great and i'm so glad that something that you heard really resonated and it worked because it does work it, it honestly does so all right at an amazing i'm gonna have to let you go to sleep because i just feel so guilty that you're up in the middle of the night but thank you so much for reaching out your story is like it's just so huge like it's so amazing and what a massive achievement like to just even just to go from such daily heavy drinking let alone doing the job that you do so my hats off to you I just think that's absolutely incredible for you and your wife like you're both obviously incredible humans and I'm sure it wasn't easy but you did it so if you could go back in time and, and have a chat with your younger self perhaps pre-marines what would you say to that version of yourself you could present all the correct information in the world to somebody and if they're not ready to stop they're not ready I knew I had a problem. If you asked me if I had a problem, I would say, yeah, I don't drink normally. I drink heavily. I'm a heavy drinker. I was comfortable with all the labels. So I don't, I don't know what I could have told my 
younger self that would have made any difference. You just, you got to be ready. And yeah. I'm ready now. My life is worth it. There's so much, so many great experiences left in my life that don't require alcohol, that will be sabotaged by alcohol. It's just not worth it. Amazing. My life is worth it. Oh my God. Get me teary here. That's incredible. Amazing. I love that. Oh, and I forgot to ask you, how's the anxiety now? It's way better. I still get uncomfortable in social situations. This interview made me very anxious, <laughs> but it's nothing that's not manageable. That's something everybody goes through. Nobody likes having to converse with people you know, to break the ice or to get things moving. It's, it's an uncomfortable thing, but it's a thing it's a human thing. It's part of human interaction and it's something you need to embrace and again, look at with honesty and understand what you're, what you deal with instead of just trying to wash it away. Oh, hundred percent. Not washing it away anymore is pretty awesome. So, all right. Well, Adam, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on the show today. I so appreciate it. And I'm so glad you reached out to me and I just, yeah, I think you're incredible. Well done. Thanks, Danny. I think you're incredible too. Thank you, my friend. See you soon. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.